What's up, everyone? And welcome back to Race to the Finish. I know I've been gone for a while. And, you know, quite frankly, it's because I started a new job. And, you know, I've been talking about this for, I think it was like two months. But went out to PAX West and got an amazing opportunity to participate in some cool activities out there and meet some really, really, really cool people. And I was able to bring on one very uh, important person. You know, at least, you know, they were able to teach me a lot about um, a lot of different things that we're going to be talking about today's episode. So I'll just go ahead and let her introduce herself. So you want to go ahead? Yes, hola. I go by Diana Moon online and most places. I use she, her pronouns. I am a game developer by way of narrative script writing and editing, and I am also a content creator. That is a lot. And so I know, um, you know, I was kind of like spamming this over at at, at PAX, you know, like kind of telling the rest of the group was like here in Ohio, especially like in Northeast Ohio, there isn't much of like a gaming industry community. Right. So Mm -hmm. a lot of what you just said, I know a lot of kids, but also like people who are my age, like I'm 24. And the you know that that have dreams to be in, <laughs> yeah like 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 to have dreams to be in this type of space right and so for you to say all these different things it's like whoa at least to me and so um but you're you're also like in a space where it's kind of moving towards representation you know and inclusion in many different aspects and so that's why I kind of wanted to bring you onto the show so we can cover a lot of those things um. I kind of want to give a little bit of background to the listeners, though, to kind of how kind of how like I got to this point and stuff like that. So um, I kind of want to start off with talking about like Latinx and gaming. So um, to the listeners, basically, if you saw that little clip that I put out there on social media a while back, I won a contest way back in February um, from if you're involved in the Smash community, you know who Mighty Keith is. He put out a tweet basically saying, retweet this, you, you'll win a ticket. So I, I retweeted and I won a ticket. To go out to PAX West, and so that happened. And I and there was a panel on the last day, and it was put on by this group called Latinx and Gaming. So you got to think in my perspective, right? Like I love playing video games, but I also love diversity and inclusion. Anyone who knows me that's from here knows that this is my life. This is what I put all my energy into, into both of those things. And so it kind of like blew my mind, you know, at PAX to see something that was going on like that. So it was a panel of folks that were in the industry, and they were talking about you know, what their experiences are like. So there were women in the industry, like men in the industry um, from many different nationalities, ethnicities and backgrounds. And so, um, and, and it was just so inspiring to me. So I said, how do I get involved? So I started getting involved and basically, you know, one thing led to another and found myself at PAX West. And um, there was a panel held by Latinx and Gaming called Building Community. And so we were matched up, or they, while they were recruiting panelists to be on 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 the like, the panel, you know, Diana was one of those people that came on to the came on to do the panel. And so I uh, that's how I was able to meet Diana, and 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 everything kind of just really worked out. It was it was it was a blast. I don't know what you thought about you know being on the panel. So like, what what was kind of going through, like through, through your mind, like being up there and stuff? I'm sure you're used to it, huh? Oh no, I haven't been on a panel since I was 14 years old. Oh, so for that was real? My first, yeah. My first panel was at Anime Expo, uh, which is a big anime convention here in the West Coast in uh-huh. LA. And there was a call to action kind of similar how you did it back when we used Usenet 
which are old message boards right before Twitter and Tumblr and all that bullshit, uh-huh. um, <laughs> where they wanted fan fiction writers. And so I, at 14, who did Sailor Moon fanfics, was like, hey, I write fan fiction. I'm going to be an anime expo. And I was on that panel. I was the youngest one, too. Um, wow. But yeah, I've done, uh, so that's the only panel experience I've had since before then. What was going through my mind through our Latinx one was like, I was not ready. <laughs> really? Because really, I was really wanting for us to record it and stream it. And yeah, that's that true. Just, just, everything just kind of like did tech wise fell apart. But I'm glad like we will be having hopefully the video up soon this weekend mm-hmm. um, or uh, of that so other people can enjoy it. Um, but I thought the panel was did did really well. What uh, Carlos failed to mention was he just he became the moderator for the panel yeah. and was pretty <laughs> awesome at it. And Thank you. got we got through. I think we did pretty well for our hour. Um, yeah, everything. And I think but it I was think, nice. Yeah, it was. And I think I guess like one, I guess one piece of feedback that I because I think like I really wish we had more time because when you're talking about like Latinx identity especially when you start to involve it in different spaces it's like you can go on forever because there's so many different experiences that 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 need to be covered you know and yeah and we're presuming everybody who comes to these panels is the first latinx in gaming panel they've been to i've been to quite a few so it's generally that's why like when we had that pre pre-meeting it was like we need to start getting away from the 101 but at the same time we're not done with the 101s mm-hmm. like um there's not enough i think um representation of latinx gamers or game devs in like majority of spaces and so so, i mean what would you say like those spaces are though i mean like i guess in their appropriate spaces so like gamers like on like streamers or or what do you mean by that anybody like anyone who's not a professional so streamers just people playing online people who like to watch said streamers or whatever um so non-professional Latinx gamers, and then when I professionals, people who are actually in the industry working for the industry, like everybody else that was on the panel, technically. Mm-hmm. And you know, I guess speaking of that, like there's there's many different things that 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 we talked about on that panel. Like one of which is like getting more devs of Latinx backgrounds to 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 be involved in these projects and stuff like that. And something that strike that striked me was um, the it actually came to me while I was up there trying to moderate, you know, and the idea of cultural appropriation. And so Mm -hmm. to me, at least to me, the way that, cause uh, so I want to, I want to clarify to listen. I'm no, I'm in no way working in the industry. Right. And so, um, I am an uh, an appreciator of video games, right. I I stream now and then and stuff like that and, and trying to do more things. So I just want to clarify, this is where my opinion is coming from. So as somebody that engages with the medium is, you know, it comes off wrong when I guess you could say white folks are telling our stories and then making money off of it. That comes off more so like cultural appropriation. It kind of, I guess the analogy that I see, it's like, I see it as no different as, is you know, non-Latinx folks, you know, especially white folks going to a restaurant on Cinco de Mayo and celebrating Cinco de Drinco with their sombreros on. Right. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And that's kind of how it comes off to me just in a video game aspect. Like I want to see more people, in the chairs, like in the offices, right? Putting in the work, but telling their own stories. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and and what's frustrating is, so my background is, um, I was born in America, but my mom, my mom's side of the family is from Guatemala, and my bio dad's side is from El Salvador. So okay. what's frustrating is seeing in Hollywood and in games that the majority of what 
is the Latinx experience in games is Mexican. And it's not yeah. even, and it's even ra- more rarely Mexican American. And it's just like, there's more to that. Cause I remember, um, I think it was one of the first time I was in the Latinx in gaming uh, discord back uh, like most a year ago, someone mm-hmm. was commenting like, Oh, we're, our game company would want to do something special for uh for I, I I can't remember if it was for Cinco de Mayo specifically or for what's coming up Latinx Heritage Month, but mm-hmm. all their suggestions was uh like siestas, sombrero, you know, mm. mustache, and I was like, well, that's not all of Mexican culture. One, two, yeah. we're not all Mexicans. <laughs> yeah, so that's it's like. True there's different ways to do it and it's just very frustrating that yeah majority of people seems to be writing mostly mexican characters from what they remember seeing in in movies and i think a lot of it has to do with market too you know like i, I think um as long as we live in a capitalistic culture market is always going to control you know what's what the majority is that put it's out there like that's put out there in terms of what we but really engage with the the th- the frustrating thing is is that it's not even the real market it's just yeah. it's it's a biased market yeah um, that's true like because i believe Coralie mentioned it also on the panel about how um well if you like her whole thing with the with not Coralie, becca sorry mm-hmm. <laughs> um becca with the whole like oh well we don't think there's enough latinx like uh coders in Seattle, it's like, well, let me ho- let me host a jam, and look, you got thirty right here, yeah, because they didn't market to it. So um, it's it's frustrating because like we don't know where anybody is. Like I would never expected where you're from there to be a a big Latinx community, let alone from like <laughs> Central America, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to be fair, I think a lot of them are are, are Salvadorans. There is like a fair. Um, guatemalan community out there too and and but and that's fantastic going, but we would is. never know that like right. cause when they think of like latinx americans they think new york with the puerequeños or mm-hmm. la which is mostly what they believe is mostly mexican they don't think of like hey we're everywhere in the u.s right and and kind of like clarifying what i'm trying to say with the whole market thing is i think it's a sad thing you know, that, oh, yeah. like investors and, and people that are, that are in power, like stakeholders are basically saying that, like, we need to bias ourselves to these people because this is what we perceive as people who are engaging this the most. You know what I'm saying? But exactly, kind of just yeah. forgetting about the rest. And, and it's, you know, just a self, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. And so um, it, I think another thing that kind of goes into this too is, you know, I'm glad we're talking about Central America because this is something that I really wish that was presented more in media in general. But, you mm-hmm. know, keeping the topic on video games, I don't think I've ever played a game that really showed Central American culture, right, in a positive light or was even told, you know, by Central Americans themselves in a way that that has gotten like a lot of coverage you see what i'm saying and that bothers me and i honestly can't think of a single game i could think of a couple of movies but yeah right like movies yeah for sure but even like some of the best movies that cover like i don't know i can i can't speak for any other country central american country besides el salvador but like at el salvador like there's the movie voces inocentes and mm-hmm. Voces Inocentes was actually produced by a Mexican studio, Mexican director, and they had Mexican actors. So while it is notorious to a lot of Salvadorans for being a good movie, 
at the end of the day, it was a Mexican production. And right. so it's like, uh, it kind of puts a sour taste, not because I have anything against Mexicans, but it's no. kind of like, it's kind of like, yo, like it's, it's kind of like ignorant to think that our people are just not putting in work at all. Like where is the recognition? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I think that's what Latinx and gaming tries to encompass with its work is to show like, yo, like we're here and we're present and we're putting in the work to be known. You see what I'm saying? At least that that's what my impression was. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and what's the another frustrating thing is talking to different investors, like throughout all these different conventions, they mm-hmm. just inherently believe that the only country, Latin American countries that have enough money to even play video games is Mexico and Brazil. So mm-hmm. that's where they put their focus on, which is frustrating because like, hey, if you're not going to support Central Americans or other South Americans, obviously they're not going to have the money and the means to like make their own um, right. make their own development studios and everything because you're ignoring them. Mm-hmm. And there's many different reasons why like those prices are inflated too. like consoles are like hundreds of dollars more than over there than they are over here. Right. And PCs yeah. aren't as accessible as they are over there than they are here. And it's like, it's just a lot of different reasons why, like I feel that, I think more of our people should be really engaging with games and, and because I do believe that games, you know, have the power to tell stories just if not better than, than movies, you know? And so I don't know, like, I think, I don't even know really what the answer is. It's kind of for me to, it's kind of hard for me to really imagine it because I have a lot of demands, but it's like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I don't know what to do, you know, in terms of just besides like trying to really put it out there, like put the message out there, like, Hey, like our people need to be represented here. You know, I know a lot of people like on Twitter are trying to talk a lot about Central American issues and stuff like that in their own. But there are certain spaces that really need attention. I think this is one of them. Yeah, I agree. And I, honestly, like as a non-dev person, the best thing to do is, yeah, support the, the Latinx, the few Latinx games that are out there that have, you know, and keep being vocal. Like we need more people willing to be vocal and say, hey you know like where's our game like all the people who've been consistently vocal with overwatch and being like why isn't there a black female character yeah we have we have what over 20 different characters and not one has been a black female character for sure they they gave us like the small little bit of like um the event effie who invented orisa and i was like well she's not in the game right is that playable and that's the thing like i don't know what the psychology is behind it but i can say like you know, playing as a character, you put yourself into their shoes. You know, that's the whole point. Like, I feel like yeah. games are designed so players can do that, at least the good ones, right? And so if you can really just align with the character in a way where it's like, oh, this is, like, intimate. You know, like, I can actually, like, I'm, I can actually be them. You know what I'm saying? Like, say if I'm, like, playing Overwatch or something, like, I'm more inclined to align with, like, Reaper than I am with Reinhardt. Right. Like, for reasons, obviously. And so, um... Because I'm I'm an American-born Latino, and so like that's why I would align more with Reaper than I would with Reinhardt, and so I think that goes to show like, hey, this is why representation is um, important. I think other people would really kind of counteract that with like, oh well, if you think about all the different types of people in in the world, you can't cover everything. But you bring up a good point too, like why isn't there a black woman represented in the game? It's like you you have countless other white males in the game, yeah. you know. Um, but there and isn't. The two, and the two queer people are white cisgendered. 
Like, you know, I, I see that as a trend too. And I think it kind of goes a lot with like um, these trends, like in activism. So it's like, I think about feminism because I see this a lot on my timeline, honestly. It's like, so there's mm-hmm. feminism and then there's intersectional feminism. And exactly, so yeah. feminism is really associated with white feminism now. So because it's really mainstream. Whereas like intersectional feminism is like to the core, this is what feminism actually is. And so I'm not queer myself. But I still like try to because I have a lot of queer friends who are involved in the queer community, queer activism and stuff like that. So I kind of like to take a backseat and learn from them. And mm. there's actually something going on in my old in my old school that's really like bad. Basically, my old school is taking away the drag show for neutrality reasons so that uh. the, the allies group can educate campus on why it's important. So they're not a lot. Of, it's all bullshit, basically. Yeah. And well, so, Yeah. Uh- like just a s- small, quick challenge tangents. Um, sadly, that dra- the whole idea of drag is very um, like in the queer community. There's a lot of back and forth because, especially with the trans people, because technically drag can be construed as being seen as making fun of trans people. Mm. But at the same time, drag has helped a lot of trans people come out and realize themselves through either being becoming a drag queen or a drag king. Mm. So it's one of those things where it's like. But yeah, you should be able to have that opportunity. To, like that, drag shows are one of the few places that are technically okayed by, at least here, like you know, in the West Coast, at least, um, by like, oh, here's something that straight people can go to and watch and participate, maybe, and it not being seen as something, you know, uh, like taking up space. Yeah. So, okay. but yeah, that is frustrating when there's like backward steps happening like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I it's, believe it, there's a dra- uh, drag game coming out too. I think by really? RuPaul. Yeah, because there's been some mumblings, um, uh, rumblings for like writers and such. But unfortunately, a lot of game writing positions, even though there's no reason why it has to be local, majority of them ha- are local owned. So that usually means going to LA or going to Texas or going to Seattle or going to New York. Huh. I see why people say that then I know a lot of people say that like, if you want like a career, like in gaming, you have to actually get up and pack your stuff. and go out. You there. have to, not only do you have to be willing to get up and pack your stuff, you have to be willing to know that that job may not last six months and you're going to have to get up and pack again. Oh my gosh. That's such like, that's the like, thing. Like I have a lot of respect for people that do that now. Cause it's like, you literally like are chasing your dreams though. Like, <laughs> yeah, but too many people believe that it like, in the past like three four years so many game dev companies have just like suddenly buckled and disappeared mm-hmm. and like you're making like at least 60 70 that's usually the minimum a year that you get from in majority of game dev jobs that are non-contract and these are so, in big cities right yeah these are mostly in big cities or city adjacent um okay. like the houston area or something or the seattle area um not exactly in seattle like but that kind of thing. So, so in those Valley. big cities, sorry, sorry to cut you off, yeah, but no I want to, I wanted to ask this is like in those big cities with like a 60, $70,000 salary be like considered like livable. Like, you know what I'm saying? Not in San Francisco. No. Um, okay. This is what's sad about my city is what is considered low is making a hundred thousand minimum. That's considered really? low. Yeah. So my family and I were like destitute because we don't even make, that much like combined we don't make that much you know so and that's still not considered livable anymore because uh, hundred thousand 
yeah, is not considered livable in San Francisco. Wow. That's the thing. Here in Ohio, 100,000, you good. Yeah, yeah. You'd be set for life in most other other states. Yeah. Um, And I don't know how it is in Seattle, where a lot of the gaming companies are going to now. Um, Probably not that high yet, but Seattle is definitely becoming the next San Francisco tech boom, which means it's going to be more gentrification, more rising costs. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, my city's been really trying to like become its own tech hub and stuff. And you know, I see that. I don't know if it's really gonna work out. I don't know. Like, it's, I, I talked to a lot of community leaders and about it, and they have mixed feelings. And I don't know, but it could be done right. But if, like, unfortunately, like with San Francisco, our previous mayor, um, he was just too greedy. Like, mm-hmm. he was so greedy, he allowed Twitter to come in, and they didn't have to pay the taxes. Even though that's that was what like, you know, going to do for Microsoft or not Microsoft, yeah. Amazon. Yeah. And, and that's what kills you because like all that money. And, and then that's when it started like giving tax breaks to other tech companies. And that's what really screwed San Francisco over is like, mm. is that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, it can be done right. I think is just not most people are greedy. So I kind of want to go back to something that you said and i want to transition into that type that that topic basically so about mm-hmm. drag and you know you mentioned a drag game coming out and a little bit of context about what's going on at like my old school basically is the reasoning is is because it's not has anything to do with like sensitivity of trans folks it it's it actually has you know the president of my school basically said that the he's sensitive towards those who do not accept lgbt culture or as even as an entity itself, meaning that like it's not valid. It's a Catholic school. And so you can kind of paint your own picture there. And so they're, they're being sensitive to the religious rather than the LGBTQ community. And so this whole neutrality decision isn't for the LGBTQ community. It's for right. the hetero community, hetero religious community, heteronormative religious community. And so, um, I, it, it, you know, it, it's present in education, you know, I kind of want to see like, what is, uh, what is the queer experience like within the gaming community, but not just like people who play games, but maybe in the dev community or just in the industry. Um, It's going to vary. Uh, like I, I'm lucky enough to live in San Francisco. So San Francisco is one of the queer hubs, um, the queer havens. Um, it's technically have become more white queer havens because of all the tech industry, uh, tech booming and such. Mm-hmm. But um, just a, like a quick note about it being Catholic. So that's really sad because I went to a Jesuit high school and we still had a queer club. Um, yeah. the, it wasn't a hundred percent perfect. You know, I heard things afterwards, like people would always like, like throw, like rip the, po- uh, the posters off and everything, uh-huh. but we still had the space to have that. And that being a Jesuit, um, jesuit catholic school that was fantastic to have you know yeah and um, that's the thing john carroll's a jesuit school and the funny thing about that is uh, hold that thought because i don't i really <laughs> i just want to i, I want to say this too because it's funny like you went to jesuit high school and you're having a positive experience with it it's like john carroll university is a jesuit college and mm-hmm. we just started with a new president this year who is a secular man basically i mean he probably believes in god but you know he's he's not a clergyman basically he's not right. a the president before him has been there for a while and he's a priest and never once took away the drag show. There's been like 
controversy between students, but he's never taken away the drag show or even limited the allies. Because yeah, at least Jesuit, to my knowledge. Yeah, because Jesuit priests, their whole thing is knowledge and learning about yeah. other, like we learned about other religions positively in in uh in my high school. And we learned about how to critique the Bible. Like we learned, hey, why is this gospel bias in this way? Oh, let's look at the, the time period it was written in. You know, mm-hmm. so it it kind of sucks, that, especially if it's a secular um, person that's taking over. So they're not technically abiding what's supposed to be proper Jesuit um, thinking. Right. Not men and women for others type of yeah. philosophy. So yeah. that that really sucks. But um, overall, like, like I said, my experience is it has been pretty much positive. We have a queer dev game dev meetup every month here in san francisco it used to be hosted at the unity um offices but i think it's somewhere else now it was a little insular it's um because i'm a person who's coming into the industry quote unquote late in life transitioning from whatever into uh because most people who get into queer game or not queer into just regular (laughs) game design tend to do it straight from either high school or from college yeah um and you technically get a better footing because there's always a lot of entry-level jobs and such. When you're coming into it in your mid-30s, it's a lot harder um, mm-hmm. because you can't, you don't have those four or five years to waste on entry-level bullshit to right. build up the, the you your have portfolio. Different needs. Yeah, different needs, uh, different costs. Like, I'm willing to do certain things that are entry-level, sure, but I'm not going to... You know, you're not going to put me as an intern for QA for five years, going paying yeah. minimum wage. I'm beyond that point now. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> but we tend to like the queer community. We tend to like stand each other, try to lift each other up, um, just try to be there for each other. Like if um, anyone who did happen to go to the PAX West or any of the PAXs, actually, there's always a diversity lounge. And in the diversity lounge, there's always other communities and groups there. Not all queer. Some of them are like we had the uh, the Able Gamers were there. And then the Take This, which is a mental health organization for gaming. Mm-hmm. And it's just like we're trying to prop each other up. And especially in like the tabletop RPGs, there's a bunch of like indie ga- indie gamers that are trying to like promote more queer gaming and representation. Because tabletop RPGs are is usually you think D and D, and D and D is very is very hetero, very uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, white European fantasy. And so on top of trying to break away from that white European fantasy, it's also like, hey, we can have queer couplings and, you know, and stuff like that. And queer, and and I mean, and I say all this not to be like in your face, like this is queer, like uh, two gay guys or whatever. It's just like being naturally in there, like Mm -hmm. walking through your neighborhood, you know, which houses are going to be having the good pupusa, you know, it's like, (laughs) but it's not like advertised. I, uh, I presume with like you know flags everywhere unless it's like you know independence day or something right <laughs> but you just know and you just feel comfortable like and that's what we're trying to do a lot in the in all the different queer uh, aspects of the game industry so it's kind of like normalizing the culture basically yeah from what i'm understanding and i think that's what's like you know i, I know it's simple at least at least but it comes off as good for me. So, like, I think normalizing, normalizing, um, you know, queer norms, basically, 
yeah. within you know the rest of society is like kind basically of like, when you introduce yourself you um indicating what pronouns you use exactly like, that's it, what it, I was, that's what i was gonna say it's like <laughs> you know kind of um ah oh, shoot what was i gonna say i i had it on the tip of my tongue oh yeah yeah so it's something as simple as like when we go to PAX, right? And the mm-hmm. fact that the info desk offers those pronouns, you know, pronoun mm-hmm. stickers that you could put on your tag. Like that that's like normalizing the whole thing because there's a whole space dedicated on the tag for you to have that sticker on there. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I, yeah, it, I really love that there's like a they make a little like outline for it too. Right. And it's small, it's the bare minimum, but the thing is it's still normalized. It's not made a, a big deal about it. it's not like in your face and here's the thing. It, I I don't feel like I feel like the whole term in your face is used by homophobic people. Oh, yes. You know homophobic, what I'm saying? Um, anti-women, even though they don't claim they're anti-women, but they totally are people. Right. For sure. Yeah. And so that's why I want to clarify myself is that's not what I mean. You know, what I mean mm-hmm. is like, you know, um, it's kind of like a, you remember how we were talking about Captain Marvel? Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to Amy, by the way. Anyways, because uh, <laughs> Amy <laughs> gave me this. Amy, she showed up on my second episode and, you know, she's a, great friend of mine she's very knowledgeable about a lot of things but um i told we we talked about captain marvel and one of the things she said is one of the greatest things about that movie is that you know there were a lot of things that women go through that came off as normal but they weren't i guess you can say exploited or or amplified like how they are in a lot of other movies and so like it it becomes like very stereotypical whereas like in captain marvel it's a lot of her journey was very normal wasn't out of like out of the way it was a superhero movie it wasn't a women struggling with x issues and amplified all this that's what i mean by like in your face it's like exploiting the struggle almost to where it's like you know like when you write an essay to get into college right and you have to talk about all your trauma (laughs) you know what i'm saying like trauma porn basically it wasn't trauma porn it was a superhero movie and that's what i mean by in your face like it's not exploited it's not being even capitalized on it's just normal and that's what i appreciate from it and i feel like a lot of other people appreciate that too yeah we definitely especially in this queer media in general too much of it is trauma porn too much is either the queers dying or it's uh the struggle of coming out when we're much more than that you know mm-hmm. uh, and the same with like latinx uh specifically like stories it's not all it's not 100 percent all about the immigration issue Right. Like we're more yeah. than that. Even though I believe we need to focus technically on that a little bit nowadays to make people understand, you know, but at the same time, we don't need to just have that story. Like in Life is Strange 2, I watched the first episode being played. I plan to play it, but like the whole like the police issue that sets off the whole game is just like, mm. yeah. It was kind of obvious that this was written by white people because that would have gone down a hundred percent differently in a more like in a different city, you right? Know? Yeah, like it would it would have been a lot more um, amped up than the way it was. But at the same time, it was like, holy shit, I can relate to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, and was I going to say? I think that was some. That was actually a game that I think were we talking about that after the panel? Life is Strange Two. I think it was like one. Of, I think it was somebody that brought it up to us. They were like, "You push, you play Life is Strange 2. And I was like, "You know what? I think I actually want to play that." I have a friend who swears by that game. And by and, the second one or by the first one? I think by the first one. 
So yeah. I'm not sure about the second one. That's the only reason I'm really wary is because I, I own Life is Strange 1 because I wanted to support them. when Because it was another indie company that was trying to do something different that had queer representation. Mm-hmm. Um, which at the time, and still technically now, is still really few and far between. Um, but it was just like... I couldn't connect because it was you're playing you don't realize you're queer at the time um possible queer because i think you can choose to reject it but most people tend to accept the other girl Mm -hmm. um you're playing in a basically like a very private white school where it's all about creativity i was like okay well i went to catholic school i went to jesuit school i should be able to relate to this but it was a very even the, the protagonist granted is also white it just played very white and it's just i, I just you. could not connect to these people it was just like i have no reason to care for any of this really i don't care i get to have super time travel powers <laughs> you know <laughs> i'm like yeah what's in it for me they're all rich and have these dramas that i cannot relate to yeah but, so i was wary when the second sequel came out and i was like oh this is about uh mexican american brothers still in the pacific northwest i'm like but who wrote it though? You know, right? And so, yeah. So I, I'm going to pull a question from the panel, basically, but kind of like flex it in a way. It's like, what does what does rep, what does good representation look like in the queer community when it comes to that space to you? Um, that's a good question. Technically, <laughs> I think that's why we had it in the panel. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> Technically, uh, dream daddies to a point. They did bad in bi representation, but overall, just normalizing the uh, like dating like other other dads and like not like batting an eye at the fact it's like, oh, I have a kid, presumably who came from a woman. We don't have to like you know like an eye about it um but it did poorly in the bi representation um i know someone brought up someone keeps bringing up undertale but personally i didn't see that as very as a very queer game um but i'm a cisgendered woman so maybe it just didn't affect me that way um Uh other video games mostly visual novels visual novels tend to do it's kind of funny because um adam coble who is a well-known white queer uh streamer mostly for tabletop games where he does other games he once famously tweeted that queer devs need to stop writing visual novels because they're boring and he doesn't like playing them but it's visual novels are the easiest thing to get into you don't need to know much coding because there's enough software for it Mm. you don't need to be you don't need to worry about being an artist because most of it's just reading you know and then you can get placeholders so Mm -hmm. like um yeah there's a couple there's quite a few like visual novels that because you get to choose like your gender and then you get to choose like your love interest who might be a varying genders like since we're talking about packs there was a couple of really good ones um later daters is a visual novel set in a senior community center and okay. you get to play a brown-skinned person as the main character uh and you get to choose whether you're male female or non-binary you get to choose what I thought was really awesome was as your backstory, you get to choose whether or not you had a husband, a wife, um, a non-binary partner, or you were a partier the entire like 60 plus years of your life <laughs> and you had fun. Like, you know, it's just the way it is. And that's like one rare thing I've never seen is like, oh, being single is not a bad thing. Um, right. And I, and I think that's also querying because a lot of he- uh, 
heteronormativity is the belief that you have to pair up and you have to have a family. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty ingrained with if you're straight. Because yeah, if, I, yeah. <laughs> if you're not if you're straight and you're a woman and you're in your like late thirties and you don't have a child or you don't have a partner, there's something wrong with you. Generally that's mm-hmm. a, and with guys it sounds like, oh, you just haven't settled down yet, you know. Yeah. And and that's like extremely prominent in latinx culture like about the latinx household it's about, like yeah when you're gonna produce grandbabies oh my gosh you don't even know like like i still get like, stuff from my parents it's like when are you getting married like, yeah and you're only kids. 24 like so, you still have yeah. a good 10 years left before if you really want to consider it before <laughs> you get to like you know an age where maybe hey you might be getting a little like a little old, but even old, right. like in your mid thirties or forties, having kids is not right. And, and, and to be fair, I mean, my parents are haven't been like that. That much. <laughs> it was more so like when I was younger because they were like, "Why did you like?" And 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 um, because they were like, they're like, "Why didn't you um have like something serious and stuff like this?" It's just not working out for me right now. So, um, but then like later on and stuff like that, things started to work out. But um. But I'm I'm more so like speaking because like for me it's like not necessarily that big of a deal like mm-hmm. I think my parents know I'm fine like you know whatever but I'm more so speaking speaking about like Latina women you know yeah. and what they have to go through growing up in the household and stuff and like I've actually like seen like some of my you know my Latina friends you know growing up and having seen their own mothers like yell at them like why like you have to clean or else you're never gonna find a man that's gonna marry you. Yeah, it was mostly from my grandmother as much as I love her. Um she was mm-hmm. like if you don't know how to if you don't know how to do laundry, you you know, how are you going to do this for your husband or um like if you don't I never I never officially liked drinking alcohol until I turned 21, but like whenever we were at parties, my grandmother was like, "Well, you need to take you need to learn to like it because you need to be able to host parties." and have like mm. so i was forced to like have a sip or two of wine you know like at 15 16 because <laughs> the thing you do at parties you know yeah <laughs> and so stuff like that so but my mom understood i told her like i'm never gonna physically have a baby because that's something i never i don't want to go through that pain mm-hmm. um if i ever have children it'll be once i'm financially secured and i'll adopt because there's tons of children out there who who need like parents now and that's a fact yep and and my mom was totally fine with that you know it was like but not every especially not every mom and especially not every latina mom is going to be happy (laughs) right that's for sure yeah and and that's the thing too i mean like obviously there's not there's no absolutes in life and so yeah um but with that being said too like i think i think a, a more broad you know um topic is 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 women in gaming you know mm-hmm. i think uh it's becoming a, a lot more in the spotlight just because you have like like streamers who are women in, in the spotlight that that are getting a lot of attention obviously and 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 but also more women that are in you know the industry in terms of like devs and designers artists and all that you know but i kind of want to know you know what your perspective is is like, like women in gaming being latina being you know encompassing all those like intersectionalities and and in 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 your identity how does that all mix in with i guess feminism in the space but also your experience as a woman in the space um it's kind of frustrating because like you you see like whenever you apply to a job you always want to do the research of the company first one to like 
better your your resume or your cover letter or in an interview you can say hey i learned about your company i'm not just desperate for a job and most companies are very like if you look at their staff list they're mostly men um mm. or male presenting at least mm-hmm. um and that can that can be like a little scary to like get into a company is like okay especially hearing the constant problems in the game dev, game dev industry uh, like in the past two weeks there's been multiple accusations from multiple women about multiple men over the past 10 15 years in the game dev industry of mm-hmm. of abuse and harassment and there's even been a couple of um uh not accusations like but reveals from men who've been like hey this dude was not good to me either as just like you know like the the co creator of Nine in the Woods admitted mm-hmm. that the uh, Alex Kalakawa mentally abused him and, and, you know, and did all these things to him. And that is just as bad. And that's something that like male to- uh, toxicity doesn't get talked about enough and how, how much male toxicity hurts other men. Like For it's sure. not just hurting women, it's hurting other men who are not able to uh, realize hey, this guy is a piece of shit. I shouldn't be working with him anymore. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't just man up about it. And yeah, it just gets a little worry. And um, the the only job I've had where I worked in an office was recently. It was for a romance game. Majority were women. So that was pretty cool. Um, uh-huh. There was a couple of guys. I didn't have any problems with the with the guys or anything. But I did notice like subtle biases where they would, anything pop culture related they default to the male producers uh expertise what do you mean by that though like like pop culture related like like uh well at the time we were we were we were in talks with marvel and hbo and game of thrones to Uh getting their licenses to create mobile games um Mm. but like the the head the head boss, he was deferring to us producers. Like, hey, like, which do you think would be worth, like, you know, petitioning for? Like, which which uh, titles would be good to monetize and for our particular game style? And our particular game style were most mostly romance games. Okay. So out of all the out of all the um, like five six producers, me included, even though I was brand new, um, there was only three men. Okay. And two of them considered themselves like big pop culture fans, like liking like all different kinds of Marvel yeah. and all that. So they were referred to more, and the other women were like, "Oh, well, we're not really into comics. We'll let you." Pretty much pre-assuming like they would have better knowledge. And I'm Got like, you. Okay. but they're guys, and the majority of our customers are women. So maybe a female fan. AKA me <laughs> who knew more about X-Men than any of them combined. <laughs> and we were trying to get the X-Men title. Like, yeah. Like they, they, be- they believed that, um, what's it? What's that movie? What's that stripper movie called? Um, uh, Magic, Magic Mike? Mike. Yeah. yeah. They believe like that was going to be a gold mine to get as a property to make a game for. And I'm like, eh, not really. You're thinking of it in the <laughs> wrong way. Like, yes, but no. If we cannot get Tatum, it's going to flop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like, okay, you have all these resources available to you in terms of like, you know, women in the space, but women who are also fans of, you know, X, 
X different reasons of uh, or or spaces in pop culture, right? But then we're refer- referring to the two dudes that work there, you know, just yeah. because they're dudes, and it's a kind of like an implicit bias that's present in the actions. And so I see what you're saying, and that yeah. kind of sucks because it's like it, it, that kind of feeds it feeds into this whole thing where you're know, speaking about like toxic masculinity, and um, that's something that I like to talk about um, in terms of like men you know men are allowed to be sensitive men are allowed to you know be themselves and not get ridiculed and stuff like that so like it it and um but it also comes with uh a lot of things that we have to check ourselves on so like taking up space you know and and you know taking up opportunity because space can be opportunity too and it sounded like you know just by being present you know they were taking up space because they were accepting that opportunity instead of deferring when they knew that maybe they should have, because you're right. If the majority of, you know, of, of your base were women, you know, that should have been known to the person that was given the opportunity to, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, it was just fascinating with that particular incident. Um, Cause all my other like game development jobs have been um, contract work remote. So it's just me working on my own. Uh, but I've heard, obviously I can't speak for them, but I've heard other stories from other like f- friends who are in the game dev right. industry who've had like pushback, uh, especially with like queer women pushback and, mm-hmm. um, and just like general sexism and just like, just mostly it's being talked over and not being like what your opinion is, is like, oh, well we need backup on that. But if someone else said the same thing, it's like, they'll just take them at their word kind of thing. I got you. And, and it's so, just overall industry. Like, there's no real industry support. Like, um, Jessica, okay. I forget her last name. Uh, she worked for ArenaNet, and she had made one comment on Twitter after getting inundated with toxic tweets. And she, she made one comment like, like, good riddance, like, we don't want your money anyways. And she got fired for that, you know. But she's a, a brilliant person in the game industry and it's like other people are allowed to be snarky but women can't be because then we're automatically emotional and it was like it was just a joke you need to have thick skin kind of bullshit like uh uh-huh. <laughs> that happens both in like online games but also being active in social media as a game dev person it kind of reminds me of this conversation i can't remember if it was with you or kate but we were talking about, um, you know, playing on ga- playing games online and how, you know, the experience is a lot different for women than it is for men. Because, like, women would play, ga- like, say, so, for example, like, I just bought the new 2K game. Like, I'm, I, this is my first <laughs> time owning a sports game, it, like, since high school, like, at least six years. And right. so, um, but well, I, it was I only got... six years ago since you were in high school. <laughs> <laughs> six or seven or something like that, but... <laughs> but like but yeah like it that was like xbox 360 so like I, you know for this generation i have not owned a sports game um but anyways what i'm trying to say is that with that like the 2k community can be very mean very mean and it you know you miss a shot you're getting railed but i am so, so glad i never played basketball online i only played it like <laughs> locally <laughs> <laughs> like it's kind of crazy like people think fortnite's bad but mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not bad. Mm, Actually, I don't know. At least to me, it was. At least to me, it was. H1Z1 was one of the worst, and uh, like Call of Duty, 
Overwatch, <laughs> Call Overwatch of Duty. ranked can be bad. But For yeah, sure. like yeah, Fortnite. I never. But then again, I like playing solo when I can. But whenever I did play with randos, it was just people doing their own shit. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, but you're you're right. I see what you're saying. Like I, I should probably use like. Overwatch ranked as example, like for sure. <laughs> Overwatch for sure. But anyways, two yeah. K like can be up there sometimes, and it's like it's actually kind of crazy because it's like you have these kids online and they think they they got this mouth and they can't suffer the consequences for what they say. <laughs> Maybe not on the online game in the moment, but later on when you still think it's okay for you to say me something like that on the street, like not nah, not gonna work out. But anyways, what I'm trying to say is, um. You know, I got so sidetracked, I even forgot what I was trying to say. <laughs> like, I was talking about 2K, and then... The oh, yeah, no, no, I remember, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so, um, the point that Kate made, or I think it was you, I don't remember, but so, uh, uh, a woman that I was talking to made this point, saying that, like, okay, so men can get berated for their play, right, by other men. But the thing is, and they won't, they won't use qualities about you. I think um, it was Kate that mentioned that, yeah. Okay, so you remember, but you were there, you were definitely there. Yeah. Okay, so then, you know, but then when a woman is playing a game, you know, automatically, like, you know, the men on the other end of the mic will point that out about you and attack that about you, you know, um, you know, and, and, and that is something that's like, that's a difference maker. I think, you know, if we're talking about race too, like, I know sometimes, it, it, <laughs> like, uh, an example, um, my friend who plays 2K all the time, he's, um, he's, he's, he's a black individual. And someone, I don't know how you could tell somebody's race over a mic, but the thing is, like, people, like, there are literally people out there that try to guess, and you oh can my, only yeah. imagine what they say. You know what I'm saying? But it's different with women. It's because typically with women, you can kind of tell maybe through a voice, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, 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 through a mic. And then people will attack that about you. And so I think that goes into Kate's point. It's like, you know, um, even if you don't even reveal yourself as a woman, you know, someone will attack that about you online. You know, even if you are a man, right, or someone or a non-binary person with like a feminine voice, you know, someone will automatically assume something about you, right, and it's still attack that, which is still uh, misogynist in itself. And so, um, I don't know how you go about like really addressing that in games. You know what I'm saying? Like, I guess with online play, um, um Overwatch is a little better about it, and marginally um because it's easy to report somebody like you mm. could be like oh i know you can report in game in the middle of it you can right click on a person's name that's in your team or you've played with them in the past couple of games and be like oh yeah this is the name i remember and right. you can report them and overwatch has been pretty decent i i tend to get because i tend to report as often as possible because they do yeah. respond back they'll be like hey someone you don't know which report it is someone that you flagged this to we've taken care of it and i'm like sweet you know hmm. um i don't know if i think fortnite also has that option um but it's a little bit more involved it's like it's not as intuitive as, as overwatch does it and that's one way to like which is still sucks because it's still on the onus of us the victims um, mm -hmm. having to do this and having to remember names. And sometimes you just get, you get so heated because like you would, you were just there to play a game, you know, just to have fun, win a couple of matches or whatever. And then you get heated because right. they get to you and it sucks when it's like just some stupid stranger saying some stupid shit and it gets to you. Like, ugh, mm -hmm. you know, 
And I hate uh, when people say like, oh, well, don't let it get to you. Turn off your mic. It's welcome with you. And you're just kind of like taking away a big part of the experience of Yeah, for a lot of multiplayer games, you have to talk. Like, I can't imagine playing like um, Call of Duty or any of those war type games without having a mic. Like, like to be C, an effective especially. player. Yeah. Like, there's Overwatch, you can do it. Uh, you can do it without a mic for the most part. Like, as long as you're listening in. Um, Fortnite's the same. Apex has the. I think Fortnite finally added this. Uh, the contextual like right click, where you don't have to talk, you know. And so, yeah, it's just, it's hard. Like, especially when you're trying to get as many people to play your game. So, for sure. And, I guess you can say this too. I mean, or I guess what I want to ask this too. And you know, on the other side, you know, I know there's a lot of struggles and stuff like that. But what are some ways that the industry has been or could be empowering to women in the space? Um, they do have initiatives. Like Xbox does have initiatives like at uh, GDC and some other like game dev company uh, conferences uh-huh. where they have like, I forget what the overall group is called, but they have like, in- inclusivity like get-togethers and gatherings at GDC. They have the women of Xbox. They have the Latinos and game, Latinx and gaming, the Blacks and gaming. They have um, a career in, in gaming, and then I think they recently added this last year. Eh, computer, do not fall asleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they recently added one for, um, I guess, disability in gaming. I'm not sure if that was the proper term, but like the accessibility in gaming. That's what it thing. was. Yeah, accessibility in gaming. Um, so there's been like small pushes like that, um, and the sponsorships. There's, I see a lot of companies trying, but it's like, but it's un, it's unknown if they're just doing it for cookies or just to show that hey we are and not really putting the effort in. But um, yeah, overall that's all I can think of is like Xbox tends to do is pretty good about that and and that's so hard to like kind of i guess you could say decipher it's like <laughs> you know and i'm very skeptical about like corporate culture yeah it's and like i'm saying yeah. this as a person who's never owned an xbox so oh, okay. I'm, a, I'm a sony girl and yeah. i can't really say <laughs> much about sony like they do pride stuff and um like they're because one of their branches is in san francisco so they always are part of the Sure. the floats and stuff but yeah xbox seems to be doing a little bit better in attempting and i like, agree inclusivity and support that's the thing like i i see that i see like the xbox is really is trying though and i think it's it i think it's present in their product you know because mm-hmm. they just they've just released this whole accessibility controller um yeah. and that to me is amazing like you know and the like, new gears of war just got a like six out of six review from the um the accessibility people like for hard of hearing it got wow. perfect score in giving enough options so that if someone who is deaf or hard of hearing could still play mm-hmm. the new gears of war without any trouble yeah and that's good and 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 with all those teams too and stuff like that and i know i just said like i'm skeptical of corporate culture but mm-hmm. I, I guess with like a lot of those teams and stuff like that i think it i think it serves people that are in Microsoft, right, and Xbox Studios and all of that, Xbox Game Studios, and and it serves the the employees, right? They feel like a sense of community. 
yeah, and 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 unity, I guess you can say, with their work <laughs> and to pass on initiatives within the company. That I think is needed. Yeah, because you know, when I you think- have employees who are of those diversities, and they're going to want to make their employees happy. For sure. So I think that's and that's why like um, I'll stand for Tanya all day every day and with the I Need Diverse Games group is like that's why we need to have more people in the industry that aren't cis white males mm-hmm. um, because just the aspect and we talked about this on the panel too it's like just the aspect of having those people there even if you're not making any Latinx game you could be making a game about like the French Revolution but they'll still but still you know having a right. Latinx person as part of it will help immensely right and because here's the thing like if we're being realistic like if we're talking it'd be nice but if we're talking about like making a game right about like i don't know pulling something from latinx culture 100 percent of the team isn't it probably isn't going to be latinx right you know what i'm saying that it's it you know um so i understand i see what you're saying I think um, an example is I, I talk about this game a lot, and I still haven't even played it, but I really want to once I have time this weekend, which I will. Um, <laughs> is uh, this indie game called Mulaka, and right. and it pulls from indigenous culture, but it doesn't just pull from indigenous culture. They brought in indigenous people like from the tribe itself, the Taramuhara tribe in Mexico, and they worked hand in hand with the studio to create this game. And that's, you know, obviously it wasn't made 100% by the Tharamuhara tribe, but they were an integral part of creating that game. And so um, I think you're right. I think you bring up a good point is, you know, it's tough to decipher whether or not they're doing this for inclusivity, but are they, or, or is it just for cookies, you know? And so when it comes down to including women in the space in a more, I guess you could say inclusive way, it's kind of like, how do how, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we really, tell between cookies and and uh and inclusivity you see what i'm saying like what effect do what effect do we need to see to really assess that this is worthwhile you know yeah that is a good question (laughs) i think that's (laughs) something we're still trying to figure out it's like it's just hard it's just like it's just we have to pump up the games that um that do it well um I want to mention. I do want to mention Control. So, Game Control came out like what about a week ago? Mm-hmm. Really cool, trippy game. One thing. So, here's an example of company doing something at least for women and and technically women of color, because Tanya was one of these people. They they gave first access not to just any streamers, but female streamers. So, uh-huh. female streamers because it's a female centric game, they got to play it like a day or two before the rest of the streamers who were going to play it before everybody else oh wow you know because they're like hey let's give back this is a game this is a game about a woman's struggle through this really trippy universe that's very twin peaks x-files like (laughs) um so let's you know and then so i think they got like a day or two max like early access and then to the rest of like the streamers that they wanted to have you know play and everything and then for everybody else there was pushback on that it was like well why do women get to do it It was like well why why not? Like, it's just an extra day, dude. If you want to wait until one of your favorite dude streamers plays it, wait mm-hmm. that extra day, you know? And so, so it's like, it's doing stuff like that where, like, hey, here's a game that promotes, like, like, they. I don't know if they did that for Life is Strange 2. Um, I wasn't really paying too much attention when the first episode first came out, but yeah, if they did it for that 
if only Latinx people got a ch- streamers got a chance to play it like a day before everybody, all the other special streamers could. Mm-hmm. That would be something you know awesome to highlight. Hey, this game was made to tell this particular story. That's a really good. That's a really good vision to have, though. Like, I do, I do, I do like that. Like, this is who we're serving, so you have the privilege of engaging with it. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I think that's really good because then it kind of like that. Then it's not just about equality; it's about equity, right? You know, in terms yeah. of uh, of in terms of opportunity, and that's great. And I think. I think that, you know, across the board, we talked a lot about a lot of different things. So we talked about Latinx, we talked about uh, queer representation and representation of women in the space, you know? So across the board, I feel like that needs to happen more, you know, even outside of just the demographics that we talked about today, you know, if we're talking about, you know, a game that serves, you know, that tells a story that is prevalent to the black community, you know, or the Asian community or the Arabic community or in stuff like that. And then intersections within that story, I feel like getting people involved who directly align with those intersections would really produce like a, a um, I guess you could say a more genuine opinion from the jump and, you know, vocalizing and amplifying those opinions, you know, if they so wish, then would really make a difference in, in terms of common opinion throughout the industry. And I think that, is a beautiful vision to have, you know, so I'm glad you brought yeah. that up. And so, um, we did talk about a lot today and I guess <laughs> you're say like, wow, I learned, you know, I, that's the thing like with me, like, you know, I'm kind of like nerding out, I guess, just talking to you <laughs> about this stuff. Cause like, I, I don't really like, I don't really have anyone to really talk to about this back at home. Cause I mean, like, you know, we care, you know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, like here in this area, we just, you know, we play the games and we talk about it and, and you know, that's kind of it. But then yeah, when you're but... talking with somebody, with somebody that like actually is making a difference like there, you know what I'm saying? Like that's a little different. And then it's like, you learn a lot. That's why I'm ner- like nerding out is because I'm learning a lot <laughs> just by talking to you, you know? But also know that you can make a game, like anybody in your area can make a game. Um, mm-hmm. It might be a little bit harder. Yeah, it might be a little harder if there's no like meetups in your area or if you have to like drive an hour or two. But generally in most like big cities, um, in most states, there should be like some type of meetup and everything, uh mm-hmm. or game jams, or you could do online game jams. And it it could be just as simple as making like a text game, um, uh, you know, like the old mm-hmm. style. Or a board you can even make your own board games and just have like, hey, or just have a group of people come up and like get together and it's like let's try to make a game you know just for the fun of it just to like uh anybody can do that and like there is still a lot of remote stuff because i'm mostly a writer it's a little bit harder for me mm. but like if you're into coding or engine or web engineering there's always like opportunities for that and a lot of them are remote because i guess you don't need to have facetime meetings if you're a coder really <laughs> it seems That's- like it's just so weird how like a lot of like the intense parts of the job they don't mind if it's remote like they'll outsource huh. yeah but like for the writing um aspect i believe should be more remote they want people local so but yeah like i um for the little bit i do in the game dev industry like my focus i think i mentioned this on the panel also my focus lately has been tabletop because it's a little bit easier to access and it's a little bit easier to like do on your own 
It's mm-hmm. like, lo- you don't need, you don't need to pay for software. You just sit down and write and think up of, you know, mechanics to make an RPG. <laughs> like, yeah. At, at Tabletop, you know, I think I mentioned this to you over there, but like there's a whole bar up here in Cleveland called Tabletop and they support yeah. the indie tabletop scene like a lot. And so like they, they, you know, every time we go there, I think his name is Joshua or something. I forgot, but like he always, um, you know, gives us new games to play and a lot of them are indie games. And so uh tabletop tabletop seems pretty good here in cleveland and, and and i have to like i have to get more engaged with it because quite frankly i'm more partial to video games than i am to tabletop games <laughs> to be quite honest but that that doesn't mean tabletop games aren't fun to me in fact you know um uh, uh some of my friends you know i think they want to go out there with friends, so like maybe i'll just it's you know, fun. Pay a there's, little closer there's like a variety of different like there's a couple of racing board games that like you're like there's there's a Fast and the Furious racing board game, which is pretty fun. <laughs> and you're rolling uh-huh. dice, and you're trying to roll dice to, like, get, what do you call it, um, shift into gear. And you're trying to make sure you don't, like, you know, um, crash and then lose your plate. Like, it can I be, gotta look this up. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's board games that can have almost the intensity of, like, playing a video game. Um, and there's some that are so complex. It's like playing a strategy video game. You know, it's like, you gotta think of all the pieces. And then RPGing itself can be fun and can be depending on how you want to play it it could be all about just the mechanics and just like warmongering or it could be about like pretending to be that other person and doing i think that's how i like to play yeah doing some dramatic um shit (laughs) like there's a there's passion de las pasiones which is an rpg that's in the style of telenovelas where you're just no way where you're just being super extra the entire time you know What's this called? I gotta write this Pas- down. This uh, is so pas- funny. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Pasión de los pasiones. Pasión de los pasiones. Uh, yeah. De las... Wait. Pasión de pasiones. Yeah, something like that. Pasión um... de las pasiones. Okay, I think I found it. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's what? so... <laughs> it, this it, is it's so, so funny. good. Oh my gosh. Wait, hold up. Board <laughs> Well, it's an RPG, not a Or RPG. Game. Yeah. Sorry. By Br- okay. Brandon Leon Gambetta, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, who's um... Latino telenovela powered by the apocalypse. Yeah. By Brandon Leon Gambetta. Oh yeah. wow, that's so funny. Okay, and it's I'm like taking you get to play like the yeah, you get to play like the, like the general uh, Helenaral, and like it's very it's very like the playbooks are very kind of stereotypical, but uh-huh. that's the point of it because you're playing Isn't in a telenovela. telenovela. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Hey, but we could talk, we could also talk about why telenovelas can be problematic sometimes. But oh, that's true. A whole, yeah. That's a whole nother episode. But you know what? I want to um, you know I, I want to wrap up the episode. You know because we did talk about a lot of things. And yeah. So. And I'm always, what, you can ahead. always fanboy with me or fangirl with me about like the industry. Like I'm always willing to answer what I can. For sure. Everything. For sure. And that's the thing. Like if there's any, you know, anyone out there that wants to get involved with the Latinx community and stuff like that, you know, the Latinx and gaming discord is something that you can join. You know, that's where Diana and I kind of hang out at, you know, and engage yeah. with a lot of other people in the industry. And so we're trying to let, we're trying to get the word out about it basically. Um, about the group you know so if you ever need resources or anything or you just want to connect with people in the industry you can do that and so i will leave there's the link a, in the description too yeah there's a facebook and then the twitter um because this was before latinx became the more widely accepted uh it's latinos in gaming mm-hmm. is the twitter account but we do use the hashtag latinx in gaming um, right 
I, I believe that's even like the the name of the page too. Like it's Latinx in gaming. It's Latinx in gaming. It's just the handle's different. But you know, yeah. Latinos in gaming. If you want to find the profile, but everything else is Latinx in gaming. Yeah, exactly. Um, before we sign off, I ask uh, every guest this at the end of the at the end of the episode. If you could say one last thing before we sign off in the episode, what would it be? Um, and then, uh, if you have any shout outs or anything, and how we can follow you on social media, anything like that. If you have any projects coming up that you want to talk about, you know, this is your space. So um, I guess I'll start with the first one. You know, if you could say one last thing before we sign off, what would it be? Um, that we're ever growing Latinx and gaming, if as a gamer or as a pro, as a professional, we're except every type, as long as you believe you're Latinx enough, that's all that matters. Nice. Nice. And so if you have any shout outs or anything, or how can we engage with you on social, like, like, you know, any yeah. of that, the floor is yours. You can find me on Twitter at Diana Moon and on Twitch or YouTube as X Diana Moon X. Um, I'm trying to get better at streaming. I'm still going to, even though I do have a mixer account just to save my name, <laughs> I mostly stream on Twitch. Uh, because I am West Coast, they'll tend to be West Coast times, usually late night West Coast times, which would probably be bedtime for most of y'all. Um, <laughs> exactly. I play all variety of games. I am, if you are into tabletop RPGs, I did do sensitivity reading for Girl Underground, which is a portal fantasy roughly based around Alice in Wonderland, Wizard of Oz. Um, I would say Book of Life a little bit-ish and everything. And I will have if you like romance games i did do um starship promise on the love struck app i did the season for if you're into queer gaming um for the queer love interest in that one and i also do tabletop rpgs every sunday from 6 p.m to 8 p.m uh west coast time on twitch.tv slash indg we're an all poc cast playing random different rpgs and I believe that's it for now. Oh, you can find me next at TwitchCon. There won't be a booth for any diverse games this year, but I will be around. Or if you come up for more tabletop and board gaming in October to Big Bad Con, I will be uh, running a game there and be hanging around, meeting other awesome POC gamers. Amazing. And as always, Diana Moon, thank you so much for the conversation. I learned a lot. Thank you. I really I had really, fun. <laughs> yeah, no, it seriously was a fun episode. Seriously, and and you know, for for my own personal reasons, because I love games and and talking about diversity and inclusion is like amazing. And so I really hope the listeners uh, had fun too. And I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. So as always, thank you so much for sharing your stories, your experiences, and all that. Um, and as for the listeners, you know where you can follow us. Uh, it's race to the number two to the finish. And that's on all social media. And you can listen to the show on YouTube, Facebook. I always forget one. It's like Apple, Spotify, Google Play, <laughs> Stitcher. You're everywhere. Like pretty much everywhere except like some niche podcaster website somewhere that I don't even know about yet. But you know what I'm saying. And Podbean. Podbean is where I host. And I always forget to say Podbean. But yeah, um, <laughs> you can follow us there. If you have any questions, please email me, Carlos, at race, the number two, the finish dot live. The website still isn't done. I'm going to say this every episode until I'm done with the website. Please be patient with me. The website is taking time because, you know, it's not because it's hard, but it's because I don't have time. I'm literally producing episodes, you know, after I come home from work and then, you know, taking care of myself and my own mental health, you know, by yes, playing video games and going to the no gym. No crunch, y'all. Crunch is bad. 
Yes, yes. But anyways, thank you for everyone for hanging out with me and Diana. And I hope you uh, join next week for more surprises. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye.